tonight is we were bold in our God. I want to notice two points, and then we'll look at a few application points as well. In verse 2, Paul says, We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God. So the two points are gospel of God and boldness in God. Gospel of God, boldness in God. And these two thoughts fuel one another. There's an interchange between gospel and boldness. The gospel of God fuels boldness in God, and there is a, a boldness that is, is uh, strengthened by our understanding of the gospel, the gospel of God. So Paul in verse 1 says that our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. And the reason it was not in vain was because Paul, verse 2, was able to speak boldly, without fear. He was unashamed to preach the gospel of God, and therefore the ministry was blessed in this city, blessed among these people. But let's begin tonight with the gospel of God. If we're going to have boldness in our God, it is going to flow from the gospel of God. Now, when Paul writes the gospel of God, he is expressing that the gospel has its origin in God. It's the gospel of God. God is the source of the gospel. The good news of salvation, it originates with God. It's not something that you and I can discover through philosophy, through human reasoning. It is a divine act of revelation. A divine act of revelation concerning the divine act of God in saving His people through Christ. The gospel of God. God is the source of the gospel. God is not only the source of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the subject of the gospel. So here in verse 2, Paul speaks of the gospel of God. But if you turn to chapter 3, Paul makes reference to the gospel of Christ. Paul sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. So the gospel has as its source God, and the subject of the gospel is Christ, in particular what God has done for us in Christ through the Son of God who became man, through the work of redemption. Jesus Christ has saved us, and this is the gospel. The gospel is good news. And in order for the gospel to be good news, we have to understand what is in the background. The gospel is in the fore. Because in the background of this good news is the bad news that we have sinned against God. You and I are sinners. Romans 3. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'm not just speaking of those people that you read of on the internet or, or you see on the streets doing perverted things. Tonight, all of us have sinned. Not a one of us ha has loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of us by nature are selfish. 
All of us have fallen short of the very purpose for which we were created. What is that? It's to glorify God. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, we deserve God's punishment. For the wages of sin is death. We work very hard. And now we deserve the wages of our sin, what we've worked for. And that is punishment, death. For the wages of sin is death. And yet God, in His great mercy, determined to to save His people by sending His only begotten Son. Jesus Christ, the, the second person of the Trinity, became man, God incarnate, born of the Virgin, taking upon Himself a human body and a human soul, taking upon Himself not the nature of angels, but the nature of man. And Jesus, as a man, He lived a life that you and I have failed to live. Do you realize that all of us have sinned? Even in the last minute, we have all sinned. Has your mind in any way drifted away? Thought about things that you've done this afternoon or what you've got planned later on? Has your affection been entirely for Christ? See, we've sinned. We've sinned. But Christ, every second of His life, He loved God with all of His heart, all of His soul, all of His mind, all of His strength. There was never a second in the life of Christ when He did not make God the chief affection of His heart. We've sinned. The good news is God sent His Son. God sent His Son to live a life that we have failed to live and to what? To die the death that you and I deserve to die. This is the gospel of God. This is the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, is that now we are waiting for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead means that Jesus died. 1 Corinthians 15. Why did Jesus die? He died for our sins. Friends, this is what the Bible refers to as substitution. Substitutionary atonement. That Jesus lived, yes, the life that we failed to live. Jesus died a curse under the wrath of God. See, the death of Christ was not merely that Roman soldiers nailed Him to a tree. As as horrible as that was, there was more to the atonement than Jesus being nailed to a tree. It was there on the cross that Jesus bore the wrath of God. Jesus was raised from the dead, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And the reason we have been delivered from future wrath is because Jesus bore God's wrath in our place on the cross. He suffered for our sin. He, the just, became sin 
for us, the unjust. We are the unjust. Jesus is the just. He died in our place. He that knew no sin, Jesus, knew no sin. He did not sin. The impeccable Jesus knew no sin, and He became sin for us. How did He become sin? By actually sinning? Actually sinning? No. He became sin because God imputed, placed upon Jesus' account, our sin. And there Jesus bore our guilt. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we, listen, that we might become the righteousness of God. There he's speaking of Jesus' righteousness being placed upon our account. This is the gospel of God. The gospel concerning Christ. That Christ bore our sin, suffered God's punishment, in our place, the just for the unjust, in order, 1 Peter 3, that He might bring us to God. That He might bring us to God. There's no other way, friends, that we could be brought to God. That we could stand before God holy and without blame. Except Jesus, the just, dying for the unjust. That He might bring us to God. That we might have a standing with God that we might be made right with God. Think of that. How can we be in the right with God if God is so holy He cannot look upon sin with approval? God cannot simply sweep sin under the rug. He can't just say, we'll let bygones be bygones. No, His nature as a just, holy God demands, demands punishment. So how can we be forgiven? How can we be set free if God is a God of of strict judgment who must punish sin? Substitution. Substitution. The substitutionary atonement. Christ dying in our place. Hallelujah. Friends, this is the gospel of God. This is the, the gospel of Christ. That we have been delivered from future wrath. And there is future wrath. In the second letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, let's jump in in verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. So Jesus is returning. He's returning in flaming fire. In flaming fire. And tonight we do not not speak of this with with glee. We speak of this with with great reverence before God and, and appreciation for what He has done. He's coming back in flaming fire and He's taking vengeance on them that know not God. Know not God. That have no love for God. No desire to follow God. Now we recognize for Romans chapter 1, all of mankind is cognizant that there is a creator. Human depravity means they suppress that knowledge and try to deny it. But the knowing here is not just being cognizant that a God exists. It is a, it is a, is a 
it is a hatred for God. It's a not loving God. It's not submitting to His rule. And when Jesus Christ comes back as the judge, He will take vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They obey not the good news that Christ Jesus died for sinners. And when Christ returns, He will not come as the lowly lamb. He will come back as the mighty, conquering king to put down all rebellion in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who? These that do not know God, that do not obey the gospel, they shall be punished with everlasting destruction. And the word destruction there does not mean annihilation. Friends, tonight there is an eternal hell. There is a place of eternal torment. There is no end to it. And the wicked will be punished with everlasting destruction, everlasting punishment from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Verse 10, When He, Jesus, shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. That's the gospel. He has delivered us from this fiery wrath, from this eternal, everlasting destruction. And tonight, that's our only hope. But it is a sufficient hope. We need no other Savior. We have a perfect Savior in Christ. We, we, we trust in Him. Yes, by faith, we trust in Christ. been different discussions today about faith. My friends, faith is, is a gift of God that enables us to, to renounce all self-righteousness as a basis for our salvation. Faith receives. Faith doesn't say, God, look what I've done for you. Faith lays hold upon what Christ has done for us. That is how we're made right with God. By trusting in what Christ has done. God, be merciful. God, be propitious to me, a sinner. Remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the publican? See, these two men went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, standing alone, standing aloof, standing by himself because he was so righteous he could not mix with sinners, and he began to brag and communicate to God all the things that he had done and all the things that he had refrained from doing. I tithe, I, I fast, I pray, and, 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 I, and, I, and I haven't sinned like, like this tax collector. And the tax collector, having come under great conviction for his sin, and he cast himself upon the mercy of God, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And the Bible says, Jesus said that it was the, the tax collector that went back to his house justified. Justified. Made right with God. Not through anything that he had done. Friends, this is what it means to be right with God. It means you, you come to God with nothing. Nothing in your hands. Giving God nothing. Not bargaining with God. But simply trusting in what God has done through His Son. Oh, tonight would it not be glorious if some of you that came to this place lost in your sin was able to go home justified, 
justified, trusting in Christ as you hear this good news, the Gospel of God, the Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Gospel of God. We have been saved from this future eternal wrath and destruction. Because on the cross, on the cross, Jesus was bearing that guilt. Think of, you remember what the father said to his son at his baptism? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. But on the cross, we, we, we hear the, that cry of dereliction where, where Christ says, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the dearly beloved Son, the chosen servant, was bearing our guilt. The good news is, you don't have to make yourself clean in order to be right with God. You trust in what Christ has done in order to be right with God, to be justified. To be, listen, holy, holy and without blame before God in love. Holy. Even sitting there in the chair shortly before I, I, I got up before you, I, 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 I was convicted. I had pride in my heart. Pride. Vainglory. Oh God, please deliver me from that. My objective should be for, for Christ to be glorified. That, 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 that pride that struck my heart was so grievous. It, it deserves hell forever. I deserve hell. But through Christ, He has earned for me salvation. And He has given me His righteousness. I am holy before my God. And I'm without blame. No charge can be brought against those of us that are in Christ. The Gospel of God. The good news, God has saved us through the redemptive work of Christ. Christ dying for our sins and being raised again for our justification. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. No condemnation. No charge can be levied against us before God. And Paul says, this is the gospel of God that I boldly preach to you. All right, so this gospel of God, this this good news of salvation through the work of Christ, through the person and work of Christ, it, it fuels for us boldness in God. So if you go back to 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul said, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. You can read of that in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they were arrested, they were beaten, and they were thrown into prison. God miraculously, through an earthquake, delivered them from their imprisonment. So now, when they come to Thessalonica, Paul says, listen, We had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. Therefore, we were 
reluctant. No, we were, we were bold. We, we, were, we were bold. We were fearless. Even though we were just beaten and put in prison. Now, for, for some of us, if you're like me, that might have hindered my zeal for the proclamation of this gospel. But Paul said it only, it only fueled us with boldness, with courage. But notice where the boldness or the courage or the fearlessness is found. We were bold in our God. So we were bold in God. And again, God is the source of the boldness. God is the source of the gospel, and God is the source of the boldness. He's not talking about some super bravado. He's not talking about brashness. He's talking about a holy, sanctified boldness and fearlessness to proclaim the gospel in the face of opposition. See, the key, friends, to boldness is not... um, Let's see, we're in Alabama, so the key to boldness is not um, your redneckishness. Yeah, that's not the key. Um, the, The key to boldness is, I want you to listen, it's humility. It's humility. See, it's humility that enables us to receive the gospel because the gospel says you've done nothing, you can do nothing to earn salvation, so we humbly have to receive it. We have to humbly say, I can't contribute, I have nothing to contribute. I humbly have to acknowledge I'm a sinner and I'm in need of grace. And it's the same way with boldness. Boldness in God means God is the source of our boldness. God is the one that provides boldness, courage, fearlessness in the face of opposition. I don't know about you. Again, I speak for myself. I I think probably some of you have felt maybe a a reluctance to communicate the gospel because of a fear. Maybe you felt shy. You felt that fear and trepidation. There have been times in certain places where, where I knew saying Jesus is the truth, the life, he's the only way to God, was not, would not be well received. And I had to acknowledge to God, God, I'm, I'm afraid right now. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of what I'm about to say, the, the repercussions that it might have. And I had to humble myself and say, God, I'm fearful. Will you, will you give me grace to be bold? See, it takes humility. It takes humility. Because this boldness is supernatural. This, this boldness is something that you and I can't just conjure or work up. Not in the face of opposition. See, this evening it might be somewhat easy. Maybe you don't have a lot of fear to to talk to one of your best friends that's here tonight about about the gospel. But it's another thing when when you begin to share it with co-workers or 
or schoolmates or, or family or friends that have no particular love for Christ, right? It takes boldness. And that boldness is derived from God. God has not given us the spirit of fear, not a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Therefore, Paul could say we were unashamed to preach this gospel because God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. So when you feel like you ought to speak up and you feel shy and you're embarrassed and you feel awkward, humbly acknowledge this to God and say, God, I need help. I need for you to provide boldness for me in order to speak this good news of salvation. So boldness is found in God. Now, application, I want to give you um, two ways that this boldness is cultivated. And again, it flows out of the gospel. It flows out of the gospel. Now, Let's remember the gospel, it's foolishness to those that are perishing. It's moronic. And therefore, we sometimes have a reluctance to share, to communicate, to proclaim this gospel, to testify of this gospel, because it's not received by everyone. Sometimes people will respond in indifference, Sometimes with hostility. There's many parts of the world tonight where, where, where Christians are in prison. They're fearful for their life. Their houses could be burned. They could be put in prison. And yet, they are bold in God. This gospel is, is foolishness to the natural person, to the one that hasn't been born of the Spirit. Maybe you yourself, you've, you've experienced the, the scowls or the frowns of, of those that you try to share the gospel with. Have, have you experienced that? And it can make us reluctant to, to share the gospel. This, this, this great news of how God saves sinners. So I want you to notice, the better you understand the gospel, the more God is going to be your source of boldness. And the bolder you are in the gospel means the more willing you're going to be to share the gospel. So they fuel one another. The gospel fuels our proclamation and when we are emboldened without fear it enables us to communicate this, this good news. gives us boldness. So the gospel fuels boldness, and when we're fueled with boldness, then we communicate the gospel more freely. All right, so what are, what are two ways that we can cultivate boldness? Well, I want you to notice two comparisons that I think we can derive from the gospel of God. Number one, God's acceptance. Let's compare it with man's acceptance. God's acceptance versus man's acceptance. Because you don't have to be young to fall prey to peer pressure, to want to be liked, right? To want to fit in. 
to be accepted. And if you begin to communicate this gospel and, and begin to communicate how precious Jesus Christ is to you, you might be ostracized, at least ignored, not accepted, not included. And that can hinder us from communicating the gospel. If you know you're going to be shunned, if you're going to be made fun of, if you're going to be laughed at, if you're going to be talked about behind your back, maybe even to your face, then why should I even attempt to speak, to speak the gospel of God? Notice that's what Paul writes, speak the gospel of God. You say, well, you know, my way of witnessing is just to live the gospel. Now, you ought to live in a way that harmonizes with what the Bible teaches Christians should be. But here he's talking about verbal, verbal communication. And when you begin to verbally communicate the gospel, you may be shunned, ostracized, held at arm's length, not a part of the crowd. That's a wonderful thing about God's house. We... we, we you know, we come together, we assemble together from the world. It's, it's been a hard week, right? We were able to come together and have fellowship in Christ and, and encourage one another. But, but we don't find that in the world. But when we understand the gospel, we understand the one that has accepted us. And if we can think rightly, think through this, okay? What's more important, being accepted by God or with God, or being accepted by man? What is more pleasing? Yes, pleasing God, being accepted by God. And this is what the gospel informs us. We are accepted in the beloved, in Christ. God says, you are my sons, you are my daughters. I love you. In my son, I delight in you. You're precious in the sight of God. You find acceptance in Christ. His righteousness has clothed you. You've been adopted into His family. You've been born again. You've been granted faith. You have a relationship with the God of heaven. You've been accepted by God through what Christ has done. So this fuels our boldness. Because in reality, when we can think correctly, when we can think through this, which is more important, God's acceptance or man's acceptance? God's. So compare the two. And if you shun me, if you're aloof, if you don't want to be my friend because I love Jesus, well, ultimately... I know I'm accepted with my God. So therefore, when you speak the gospel, you can speak with boldness, even if you're not accepted, because you are accepted, not by the world, but by your heavenly Father, accepted by the Father. And when you speak the gospel, 
even if it is a, an aroma, a savor of death unto death, it's well-pleasing to the Father. You're well-pleasing as His children. Paul would write in this same chapter, verse 4, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, that's astounding, friends, astounding. We were allowed, God gave us, God gave us the privilege of knowing this gospel. To be entrusted with this treasure. We have been, we've been given this, this truth, this divine revelation. We've, we, we've received it. And, and we have this, 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 this privilege of, of being good stewards of the gospel. So Paul says, in light of that, we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. It's not, it's not Paul just wanted to rub people wrong. It's not that, that we just want to make people mad. We're not just trying to get under people's skin. Not at all. We love people. We want people to embrace the Christ that we have embraced. But ultimately, when we speak the gospel, what counts is if God is pleased. And friends, he's He's pleased. He's he's pleased when you embrace His Son, when you find Him of such valuable treasure that you speak of His name. See, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The more you treasure Christ in your heart, the more it just just comes out. You, You speak it. So this is how we cultivate boldness. It's in the gospel. Compare God's acceptance with man's acceptance. Which is more valuable? God's acceptance. That's what the gospel communicates to you. You're accepted in Christ. And then secondly, God's wrath. God's acceptance and God's wrath. Let's compare the two again. God's wrath to man's wrath. Which is more weighty? Which is more horrifying? God's wrath, right? I, I, you know, Jesus, he, he speaks plainly and, and abruptly and shockingly at times. Don't fear man. All he can do is kill your body. Well, God, I, I love my body. It's, that seems rather horrifying, God, Jesus. But Jesus says, don't fear man because the worst thing that he can do to you is kill your body. Fear God who can destroy the body and soul in hell. Whose wrath is more terrifying? It's, it's God's wrath. And this is what the gospel reminds us. The gospel reminds us that we have been saved from the wrath of God. Jesus bore, Jesus bore God's wrath in my place. So when when men respond to us speaking the gospel with wrath, with indignation, with opposition, with persecution, we remember 
we've already been saved from the worst wrath imaginable. So compare the two. Not to make light of suffering. Not to make light of persecution. Not even to try and welcome it. Sometimes I think Christians fantasize persecution. Yes, there have been times when the blood of martyrs was the seed of the church, but there have been other times in certain places where the the church has been decimated through persecution. Wiped away. But at the same time, we compare what our Savior bore for us and all that man can throw at us, and there's no comparison. No comparison. God's wrath, man's wrath, which is horrifying. Which is more horrifying? It's the wrath of God. And that wrath has already been absorbed. Been absorbed. So that when Christ returns, we that have trusted in Him We'll hear those blessed words. Come, inherit the kingdom of God prepared for you from the foundation of the world. All right, so I want you to remember this tonight, okay? Here's my, here's my closing remarks. The two points, gospel of God, boldness in God. That's rather simple, right, to remember Gospel of God, boldness in God. God is the source of the gospel. He's the source of boldness. And God has given us the privilege of speaking this gospel, that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was was raised from the dead. And, And when we feel shy, embarrassed, awkward, out of place, and we're wrestling... You don't do this, do you? I've, I mean, I sit beside people sometimes and I'm wrestling in my mind, is it time? No, I don't think it is. They're going to think I'm really weird. Should I try to direct the conversation to Christ? No, they'll think that's weird. Uh, okay. Well, what matters? God has accepted me. And I'm not talking about just being foolish and, and, and you know, um, just insulting. Not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about when God gives us those opportunities to speak, to speak. This message that, 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 that God delivers sinners through His Christ. Let us remember the gospel. Because in the, in the big picture, it, it really doesn't matter what this person thinks. Not if I'm accepted with God. And the gospel also tells me that the worst thing they could ever do, if they were to pour out all of their wrath and opposition and antagonism toward me because of the gospel, God's Son has already bore the most horrifying wrath that could ever be experienced. So in light of that, we find boldness. We find boldness. Father, we thank you tonight for the, for the gospel. We thank you for the revelation of what your son has done.
God, please, we, we ask that You would help us to treasure Christ. God, we confess our, our love for Christ is so small, so insignificant compared to what He deserves. So God, please, we ask that You would refresh us daily with the reality of, of what our Savior has done and what our Savior will do. Father, we thank You for this promise that we one day will admire You eternally when Christ returns. Would You make this a reality in our life? And please give us boldness. God, we're living in a, in a culture that's becoming increasingly dark, perverted, that opposes Christ. So Lord, please, would You enliven us to speak this glorious message of Christ and give us more doors of opportunity and give us boldness to walk through those doors. Father, I ask that you hear this prayer for the glory of your Son and for the good of us, your people. We ask in Christ's name.